I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, May 30th, 2020, and this is episode 70 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing. This week was a bit difficult uh, for a number of reasons, and that always makes it hard for me to think of this week's best thing. I'm still watching The Expanse. I'm on season two, but I don't want to do the same thing two weeks in a row. So I think I will do like an umbrella of learning. There's a lot of learning happened for me this week in a different in different ways, which were right on time, really helpful. I participated in the virtual Balticon, which was held on Zoom. And it went off really well. I was in three panels. They were all really interesting. I learned a lot. They were well attended. One of them had over 100 people, which I don't know if I've ever, maybe once or twice, but very rarely have I ever done a panel in front of that many people. Um, less intimidating since they're just, it's just numbers on a screen. You don't get to see them. But the chat was very lively. So, um, you know, in the Zoom, all of the participants can can be in the chat, and there were great questions and side conversations happening, which I was sort of peeking into while uh, trying not to be too distracted. So that was really fun. Um, and then the next day, this past Tuesday, I was on another Reddit virtual fantasy panel. Uh, so that was the second panel I'd done in two or three days on fantasy magic. But I, there were different things, you know, different participants were there. So I learned something different in each of them. And it's really, you know, one of the, one, the, the best things about panels for me is learning from the other participants, the other authors and editors and people on, on the stage, quote unquote. Um, and then the, you know, good questions. I had a lot of fun doing them. Even though I was not at my best on Tuesday, I had to take Stokely to the vet. Um, he's fine. He just had to get neutered. But when I brought him back, he was super loopy. And so a big chunk of my day was just kind of spent in animal care. <laughs> so I don't know if I was as uh, present on the, the Reddit panel as I, I had intended to be. But I managed to get a lot out of it. So I guess that brings me to my writing update, which... Um, I, my goal had been 15,000 words this week. I think that I only got 10,000 around then. There were several days I did not write at all. And um, part of it was, you know, unforeseen things happening, vet and whatnot. Work got kind of busy. But those are just excuses because really when I don't write, when I don't have that desire to get back to the manuscript, it's because I'm stuck in some way. And I was stuck this week. And I didn't it took a couple of days to figure out what was wrong, especially since I didn't spend those days trying to figure out what was wrong. I was just like, okay, resting the brain. Um, but the good thing about kind of coming across these different craft resources um, over the week was it helped me figure it out. The problem is that my heroine, my main character, is not quite interesting enough. <laughs> so I'm going to link to a blog post that had this quote that really kind of opened the door for me. It's written by screenwriter Matt Bird. And he goes, he says that every main character must be volatile. 
And he says, by that, I don't mean that they have to blow up yelling at people all the time. I mean that they have to have something unexpected inside them that gets ignited by the plot. And then that ignition turns the plot into a full-blown fire. They have to have some secret or some quality that causes them to react different than anyone else would to this situation. That's volatility. And my heroine was not volatile. She didn't have any sort of contradictions. She was pretty straightforward. I mean, she had you know, a backstory and an emotional wound, and she was thrust into a situation and had obstacles that were difficult to overcome, and all of those things were there. But I just didn't find her to be the most interesting person in the book. And uh, that was a problem. And that was that was stopping me from continuing writing because I was going through the process of trying to figure out which of the old scenes from my previous draft I was going to bring in next, or if I had to reconceive of those things happening, those plot points. And not having a firm enough grip on the character and not feeling that I knew how she would react in every situation was really holding me back. And I couldn't make a decision about what happened next. Like, it's, it's, I think I'm slowly starting to understand that when I'm feeling overwhelmed by all of the possibilities that could happen in the book, like anything could happen. I'm the author. I could do whatever I want. It's a character thing. Like when, when you know the character and you know who they are and how they react in situations, then you can create a situation that has them react in a certain way that then continues along the plot that you want to have happen. And without knowing enough about the character, I couldn't do that. And so the character work that I do is, it's like, not, um, like, I don't care what they eat for breakfast or what their favorite movie was, you know, what's their favorite color, like, those types of character surveys are completely useless to me. And I, I just, I feel like I'm just picking random things. And I, I don't do them. I, I never do those. But in this ultimate story checklist um, on the secretsofstory.com blog, they dig deeper into the character. And, and there was really good questions and things to think about. Um so it's another get another worksheet or checklist to add to my arsenal, but they help me. So some of the questions on this um, on this checklist are: Is the hero defined by ongoing actions and attitudes, not by backstory? Which is a thing. Like I tend to know the backstory and and have that have their their wound or the thing that's wrong kind of propel them. But this is probably a better way to do it. Um, does the hero have a well defined public identity? Does the hero have a default personality trait? Do they have a, a default argument tactic? So things like that, that I really have to dig deeper into her character and, um, and answer those questions. Oddly enough, even though I've done comparatively less work on the hero's character, I feel like I have a better handle on these types of things because he's a more interesting character to me at the moment. And this this tends to happen when I'm trying really hard to write characters who are not like me at all. And so I think I just, I have to give myself time to get that, um, kind of get a hook into who they are and not just what's happened to them and not just their trauma and their pain or their disappointments or their desires, but really how are they thinking about things and and how are they going to react to things? And then this past week on the Joanna Penn podcast, The Creative Pen, 
she had an author, Will Store, on who has a book that I immediately ordered after listening to his interview. It's called The Science of Storytelling. And he had a series of videos on YouTube. There's five short videos that I watched. I took a screenshot of um, what he calls the sacred flaw. And character flaws are not my strength. I really struggle with character flaws. I know that my characters have to have flaws. And I try to give them to them, but I, I never really feel like I've mastered that. And so his approach and calling it the sacred flaw really has made me think about it a little differently. So as opposed to a flaw I might give a character is, um, you know, fear of disappointing themselves or, you know, believing that um, they have to change themselves in order to be loved or, um, you know, one of the examples he gives in the video is controlling. Okay, heroes controlling. What does that even mean? What? Why are they controlling? And how does that manifest itself? Um, so his approach to character flaws, the sacred flaw, is to answer questions like, okay, the thing people most admire about me is dot, dot, dot. So if you think about a flaw, a, a character's flaw could be believing that the thing people most admire about me is that I'm charming, you know? And so if they believe that their best quality is being charming, then that's a strength because they, if they're charming, but it's also um, a flaw because how does that manifest itself in, in, and how are they hiding behind that? Another example is the secret of happiness is dot, dot, dot. So if a character believes that the secret of happiness is um, always having lots of people around them, and always having lots and lots of friends. That's a flaw in that maybe they're not comfortable with themselves or they don't really have their own identity, something like that. So these are just a different way of getting to a flaw. And I think it will help me to kind of not just assign flaws, because what I've done before is kind of look at their wound, the the thing in their past that's happened that has caused them pain that they can't quite get over. And that is attached Maybe the reason they can't get over it is their flaw, you know, and whether that's fear or um, insecurity or something like that. But connecting the flaw to these beliefs, like I believe that the best advice anyone ever gave me was um, strike first, you know, like always be the, the first person to land a blow and so that you'll never get hurt. It's just a deeper way of constructing a character flaw and it really, it really resonates with me. And I, as I continue writing this manuscript and trying to get deeper into the character so that I can get some more words on the page and not be assaulted by the possibilities of everything that could possibly happen and be able to feel good about the choices that I've made. Like I'm looking at what I have now and I think it's strong. I think the writing's good, but something is still not quite right. And maybe this approach will help me to get back on track. Also, I worked on my writing schedule for the rest of the year, mostly just looking at deadlines that I know about now, working backwards from them to figure out how to plan my, my writing time and what projects I need to be working on when. So the way that I usually do this is I found a, a calendar layout that does six months to a page, but in sort of a vertical grid. So I have this vertical grid. So basically the months are vertical with the dates next to them. So I can sort of uh, make columns inside of these different tables about what I need to be working on when. And 
for some reason, this works better than a regular traditional calendar layout for me to understand and be able to do the schedule. So I've worked backwards from the date of the anthology, Under a Winter Sky, the novella that I have to complete for that. And I like to give myself lots of space. So, um, for example, that's due October 31st, I believe. So I've given the week before that to just cover myself in case something goes wrong. Then I've scheduled approximately a week for proofreading because it's only 25,000 to 30,000 words. And my proofreader is traditionally been able to do that in a week or less. She's really fast. Um, the week before that is reviewing the copy edits. The week before that, I want to get the copy edits back. I've scheduled two weeks for copy edits. So I kind of go backwards from there. So before I get hand in the copy edits, I'm going to schedule a beta read with question marks because I'm not sure if I'm going to need to get this beta read or even have the time. But I like to pad it. So two weeks for a beta read, a week for, to, to revise after the beta read. And that brings me back to Labor Day. So that means if I want to... Um, get this manuscript to beta readers by Labor Day. I know I'll have to finish the revision by September 6th. And then I go backwards from there. Um, I already have a first draft. I know it needs heavy revision. So I've scheduled myself to start working on that in August. But Cry of Metal and Bone comes out August 11th. And I know that it's going to be promo. And um, I'm also doing a short story to give away for like a pre-order campaign. And so I've scheduled that. That has to be obviously done by the time the book comes out on August 11th. So I've backwards scheduled the writing and the proofreading of that. This format allows me to see where I have overlaps and really consider, can I overlap? At one point in time, I could write two books at once. Like I was at different stages. So I was working on Earthsinger and one of the angel books at the same time and I did it and I was working full time and I don't know how I did it. It was years ago. <laughs> These days, it's a lot harder for me to work on multiple things at a time. So I don't want it to surprise me. And I, when I do have to do that, that'll be a good time to not accept big projects at work. Um, you know, so planning out the schedule is really useful for me to just figure out my workload and try to manage it better. And, you know, by doing this, I kind of realized like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to have to be doing these two things at the same time. Is that realistic? And can I shift things around? And then there's always the things that are surprises. Like my publisher, at some point, there's going to be copy edits. Um, there's going to be revision for Requiem of Silence, book four. There's going to be copy edits at some time, probably August, September, I'm thinking, October. The book comes out next March. So... I was looking back at when did I do copy edits for the other books? Was it six months in advance? Usually about six, seven months before the publication date. So um, knowing that I don't want to overload those months because I'm going to get hit with things that I don't know about yet. And the schedule has to be able to breathe, which is one of the other reasons why I I pad everything. Like the um, the anthology novella has at least two or three weeks of padding. And even the beta reading is padding just in case things go terribly wrong. <laughs> which they always do. I don't say terribly wrong, but I've never managed to keep a schedule that I've done like ever <laughs> exactly the way that I've, I've done it. Uh, and I know that I will not be able to keep any of these dates either, but the, the due dates are the due dates and padding it, giving myself an extra three weeks of wiggle room throughout the process just 
works. So it's going to be due whether I actually, you know, by Labor Day am done by, with this and get it to the proofreader on this date. Remains to be seen. It's all a mystery. But I'm really happy with my schedule. <laughs> I'm happy that I did it and that I can look at it and have something to ground me. So I think it slipped my mind, and I'm remiss in, in letting you know that I am a new columnist in the Galaxy's Edge magazine, which is um, a short fiction magazine for science fiction and fantasy. And I have a regular column on craft called Longhand. Um, my first column appeared in the May issue, and I just turned in the column for the next issue. So it's a craft column. I'm going to focus right now on world building and different aspects of world building in each issue. And I'm really excited about it. It's fun. It's got me thinking about craft and trying to formalize it or, you know, get my ideas on paper in a way that is understandable by others. So definitely check out the May issue. It comes out every other month. So the next one will be in July. And I will put a link in the show notes too. This is a short episode because I've had to record it like three times and now on my laptop I had technical issues with my regular computer and I don't even know what I've said all of these times if I've repeated myself or forgotten a whole parts of what I was going to say. So I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> but um, June is Pride Month, and it so happens that the promo for the Frolic Podcast Network is from our friends at the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So let's hear from them. Hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm Will from the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. We're proud to be part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Our show is for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. New episodes are available every Monday. You can find us at BigGayFictionPodcast.com and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We hope you'll join us soon. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. All right, so I'm back to it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to target the 15,000 words this week because I know... I do have to spend some time on the character, but um, I'll leave that as the goal and we'll see what happens. Hopefully that won't take more than a couple of days and I can get back to the writing because of, as my schedule says, I have a finite amount of time that I can work on this before the next thing has to happen. So that's my goal. Get to these words and get this character work done and get back to the manuscript. I hope you have a wonderful week and happy reading. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.